You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with Dave Truss, and my guest today is Joe Truss. Joe is, uh, his Twitter name is Trust Leadership, at Trust Leadership, and his website is culturallyresponsiveleadership.com. Hello and welcome, Joe. What's up? Coming to you live from California. And you're on your uh, a walk, getting some exercise in, so that's fantastic. If we hear a little yeah. bit of traffic on the outside, that's all right. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so uh, I am originally from San Francisco, California. I'm born and raised in the city, product of public schools, product of a single parent home. Uh, was always a school kid and studied Spanish in college and thought I wanted to be a doctor for a while, but found education instead and uh, been in it ever since. Started as a Spanish teacher because that's what I studied and that's what I loved originally. And uh, at some point I decided I wanted to do more and different things and went back to school, became a principal. And I'm, what am I in now? Finishing up my fifth year uh, as principal of a middle school back in the same school district I went to school in. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out this education thing and fix the things that are broken even if that includes us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I've been following you a little on Twitter, and I know that, l like myself and a few of my, my last two um, uh, guests as well, you're, you're really into taking care of yourself, and fitness is a key part of uh, you know healthy mind uh, to, to be more prepared to be the leader that you are. Yeah, you know, um, I, that, you know we're li literally doing this podcast while I take a walk around my neighborhood and do, you know, one of my, frequent loops that I like to do. Uh, I used to always be in the fitness. I played basketball as a kid and in high school and for fun later on. But, you know, once you get into teaching and education, almost any job that you pour your heart into, you just start to forget about yourself, you know, and Absolutely. taking care of yourself. And, you know, you just pour all your hours, right, into that and you get so stressed and you self-medicate with whatever you could do this easy, right? Whether that's eating bad or alcohol and drugs or whatever, you know, or, you know, just not being good to yourself, you know, and I feel like that's part of the reasons why the job is so unsustainable and so difficult because we pour everything into it, but we don't take care of ourselves. So at some point we reach a breaking point, you know, sometimes that's a really bad breaking point for lots of people um, that can be really tragic, you know, um, let alone just being unhappy, you know, so Recently, you know, I mean, I, I felt like I was much better when I was younger and didn't have kids and, and whatnot. But once I became a principal and had a kid, things got even more difficult to balance. And just this particular academic year that we're finishing right now, I kind of decided that my one goal for the year was going to be um, taking care of my health and and wellness. And that was it. I couldn't. I, I said, there's no other goals. You know, like previous years, I was doing a lot more writing and a lot more just kind of consulting and website blog kind of stuff. And I was like, that, that even is going to take a back seat. Cause I was like, if there's one thing I'm going to try to do, it's take care of myself. And I realized that especially this year, I've never really been more happy than I've been in the nice. past because you know, the work is always going to be hard. You know, the work is always hard, especially when you're trying to change things and improve things. We're running up against so much resistance that, you know, the byproduct is, is is tough on us that 
I, I remember, I realized once I started taking care of myself again, that it wasn't as hard, you know, when I was, um, prioritizing doing some push-ups every day, doing some pull-ups at home, going on a walk, going on a run, all of a sudden, you know, this work of education and social change didn't feel so daunting, you know, and that's the thing I'm trying to keep regular, you know, um, and, you know, nice to be in shape and, and uh, take care of yourself too, but even just mentally, it puts you in such a better space. Uh, so trying to keep at it as much as I can. That's fantastic. And yeah, and, and I think a lot of people need to really think about that now as remote learning uh, starts. You're in, you're in San Francisco. I'm in uh, Coquitlam, the suburbs of Vancouver. And I think on uh, the West Coast here, uh, we really got a, a jump start on the social distancing that a lot of people are now facing. And so, um, you know, it's been, I think it's had a positive effect on, on the West Coast with the, the slowing down of things. But it also has been ramping up for educators trying to figure out how to do this distance learning thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, you're both forced to be at home and kind of told that you're not supposed to go anywhere, but you can go exercise. But, you know, even for me, like the first two weeks of being sheltered in place, as we were calling it here in this area, I was just nervous, right, and, and worried and trying to figure out what's going on in the world what does that have to do with education? I didn't have any other time to really think about anything else or even get outside. You just was just in this state of angst, you know? Um, but things kind of have subsided. So starting to feel a little bit better, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I think we, we have some challenging times ahead, but at the same time, uh, one thing people that I think need to do is number one, slow down. It's a long haul to, to June. So just slow down a little bit. And number two, do exactly what you're doing. Take care of yourself. And I'd say if there's one more thing, this is also a great time for us to um, collaborate and to actually have that time to talk colleague to colleague and, and help each other out because we've never had this much time in a school day to be able to have conversations about learning. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, once, once everything calmed down and people just chilled out a little bit, that's the next thing, right? Then it's, what are we doing? And, you know, naturally people are coming to these, the right questions, right? Like, well, how do I work smarter? You know, like yeah. somebody's got to have done this already, you know, and that's great, you know, just because I was just writing about this in a new post that I'm working on of, you know, we literally have millions of educators um, across the countries, right? Making millions of detached separate assignments right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, struggling to do it, struggling to build capacity to do it as best as they can, but also under this, this uh, pressure that they got to hurry up and pump it out. Or we could add, ask this question of, well, how do we work smarter, right? Like, let's co-create some stuff. Let's make one, one thing and share it. I'm actually trying to gather a, a group of educators across the country, hopefully, to help me create like a cross-curricular project. It would be like, at least my vision of it, we'll see what happens with it, is there's really only one project that kids are working on between now and the summer, right? What's that project, right? How can it intersect each subject area depending on what grade, grade level you are or easier to do if you're in um, a primary elementary school. But let's just make it about the coronavirus and all the intricacies of that and how it intersects with our life, because it is, right? It's of the time. Um, and let's do that. I mean, that's so much more interesting than individual teachers uploading these random worksheets and these PDFs, <laughs> right? And everybody working harder, 
but not smarter. You know, I mean, that take, obviously takes a lot of coordination, but, you know, I, I think it's worth a shot to try some new stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I, remote learning shouldn't be shoving paper through a wire. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. So um, I, I guess it was uh, last year that we connected, and, uh, and with the last name, the first thing we were did was like, are there any connections? Uh, yeah. And we couldn't find any, but at the same time, uh, I, I learned a little bit about you and your school, and it was kind of neat the stuff you were doing around meditation in your school. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in my fifth year, and the school is a, it's a public middle school, six to eight, about four to five hundred kids, depending on the year. Um, and we've had a meditation program for about 12 years now. Wow. A couple, a couple predecessors before me, principals who came before me, set up a partnership with a nonprofit that was all about um, health and wellness with, with schools and blew it up, right? And not just like coming in and doing one meeting, they decided to do a whole school approach to meditation. And after a couple of years, they got it right, at least, at least model-wise. Um, and we do it now. I mean, generally this year, kids come in, they go to their first period class and um, between their first and second period class this year, everyone meditates. So they go to their homeroom um, and they're in groups of about 20 to 25 kids with a teacher and they all sit down and they do a transcendental meditation session, right? Which is about 12 to 15 minutes long. It's silent. There's a bell that's rung. If you haven't done meditation, it's not guided. They just ring a bell and the kids are quiet. And everyone gets trained if they're open to it, both kids and adults. Um, and the kids do whatever they do, right? You could do your mantra. You could just be quiet. You could pray if that is in line with your religion. Or you could just be mellow for a couple of minutes. And, you know, it's middle school. So on a good day, it's kind of mostly happening. On a bad day, we're dealing with middle schoolers who, like, wouldn't do anything we would ask them to do, let alone meditate and be a hundred percent silent. So uh, I've done nine years of middle. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Still real life, but you know, on a good day, kids are doing it, you know, when they're finding their calm after a couple of years, they can articulate how positive that is for them. And, you know, they're in middle school. So like their understanding of social emotional learning and, you know, uh, physiological responses that are still, you know, middle school level. But, you know, when we talk to kids who are older and have been a part of the program for years or are now in high school or now growing up, a lot of them talk back, talk, talk about how positive that experience was for them um, and how much they gained that. You know, for me, one interesting thing about it is what I realized about schools, we do so many random things and different things throughout the day, whether they're interesting or not, and kids don't remember them, but they remember the things that happened every day right the routines right the rituals and this idea of everybody being quiet and, and meditating for the day every day for three years is pretty significant for kids you know That's and then awesome. they say like wow yeah like kids will be able to articulate i really need to meditate right now i wish i could meditate at home and you know at some point when they're old i'm sure it'll hit them right where they're like oh my god i was actually doing some social emotional health and wellness for myself when i was 10 you know 10, 11, 12, which is beautiful, you know? Um, everybody thinks it's like the one silver bullet. You know, we probably need like 20 silver bullets as one of them, you know, yeah. that kids should be doing. You know, we always get people who stop by the school like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. This is all we need. It's like, no, you need this and you need deeper <laughs> learning and you need social emotional learning and you need relationships and you need restorative justice. Like you still need all those things. You know, this is like one, this is one really good thing, but it's not the only 
thing that kids need, you know? And, and so you think the, the one key practice that you have, though, is that everybody's doing it at the same time and it's a commitment across the entire school. Yeah, I mean, that makes it huge. I mean, you, you kind of can't have some people silent and some people not or some rooms silent and some not. It makes it hard to just focus, you know, mm-hmm. um, logistically. Um, but um, because everyone's doing and everyone's bought in, now you have this cultural piece, right? It is, it is part of the fabric of the school much like a school that opens with like a elementary schools open with these like morning gatherings in the yard or in the auditorium. And that becomes like part of the fabric, you know, and it means something. So I do think there's a lot of power in what we ritualize and what we explain. Cause like, because it's such a big part of the school, we explain so much about it, right? Like there's a point system and there's education and overviews before we start, there's tune-ups and there's, you know, there's bigger celebrations related to it and there's competitions related to it. You know, like you got to make, you got to blow anything up that you want to be successful, you know, in a, in a school. Yes. Yes. You talked about the, the culture and um, one of the, you know, one of the things about, uh, about yourself is even, even your Twitter profile, it's not just Joe trust, it's Joe trust, culturally responsive leadership. So what does yeah. that mean to you? <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's a, it started as kind of a random idea, you know, I mean, I, I, as a leader, I think about leadership, obviously, right. There's, there's plenty of books and consultants and, and people talking about teaching, right. We're not short on that. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bullshit out there, but some good things too, but there's plenty like that's a saturated market of, of thoughts, right. And, and frameworks. Um, and you, for me, I was really, I've always really been moved by cultural relevancy. Um, uh, any sort of engagement specifically for people who school has not been designed for. Right. And then many times, depending on where you are, that's the marginalized and oppressed groups, right. Depending on your, 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 your area, right. For us, it's black and brown children. It's immigrant children. It's English learners, it's poor children, it's girls, depending on the subject area you're in. Um, so I've always been, uh, passionate about, uh, reorganizing school, uh, for the marginalized. Now that's on the teaching, right? So now this question of leadership is like, what does that have to do with leadership though? Right? Like how do you lead for that? How do you, um, what's the, what's it, what's the leader's role in doing that both in uh, having a vision, setting up the conditions for that, encouraging certain things, um, redirecting other things. Um, and you know, there's some people who kind of write about that. And I realized that like, there, there are a lot of people writing about leadership there are a lot of people writing about diversity and equity and inclusion um, and teaching, right? But not really merging those two things, you know? Right. Um, and because a lot of times leaders are typically be the ones that we're fighting against a lot of times, right? They're the ones who are maintaining status quo. It's like, they're, it's like their job, right? Your job is keeping the trains on time, usually, right? Here's your keys, yes. right? Make sure you get these testing done during the testing window and make sure... Um, you know, we collect the forms, you know what I mean? Like, that's like your job as a leader versus um, going there and disrupt, right? So this idea of merging disruptive teaching with leadership that's actually going to enable and empower that is huge, right? Easier said than done, but, you know, that's the question I'm thinking. is like, what's a leader role, leader's role in um, disrupting inequity in schools and, and, and trying to bring out more um, liberation for kids and, and change you know and there's not a lot of answers for that but i feel like there's there's questions and there's starting to be you know more people speaking on that 
Yeah, it's easy. It's easy when you, especially when you start this job with all the expectations uh, of the role, it's easy to get lost in uh, yeah. the idea of being a good manager and right. not and missing the part about being a good leader. <clears throat> And right, uh, right, it takes a little right. while to balance those two and find it. So, yeah. Right, right, right. So, I mean, so it, what, what it's are a very some... transactional job, you know? It can be yeah. a very logistics-oriented um, type of job. And people are used to that, too, you know? Um, and they want you to do that, both, like, the people who are supervising you and the people you're supposed to be supervising. Um, and, you know, how do you do that in a humanizing way is still a question, too, because you can't come in and do top-down liberation right <laughs> it's actually counterintuitive right so yeah. there's another like layer there like where you're actually supposed to like create the conditions for people to free themselves right which yeah. is so much more complex you know yeah so so if, if someone were thinking for the first time about being a more culturally responsive leader what would you suggest to them what's the starting point uh, yeah I mean, I mean i think first of all you have to figure out how to empower your teachers to support change. You know, I think a lot of school is structured to be very top down um, in who has power, who's making the decisions, who's holding who accountable. I mean, a lot of times that rests in the leader, right? Maybe the sole principal, depending on the structure of the school. Um, so I think one is trying to distribute leadership, but, it, but that's the thing, right? It's not just distributing leadership for the purpose of status quo, right? Yeah. It's not just leaders. It's not just distributing leadership just to raise test scores, you know? Um, so you have to be clear with what the goal is and then distributing leadership is one part of that. Right. Um, and then that, then that gets into everything of like how we design learning spaces for teachers so that they design those same learning spaces for kids. Right. I mean, we have to model those things we want. Right. We have to have inquiry based learning and PLCs and all those things that they make sense. They're not just like buzzwords, things on Edutopia. Like they're actually the things that we want to see teachers yeah. doing with kids. We just should give teachers the same opportunity to experience that as learners as well. And then I think like the other piece is just what's your data say, you know, like being really honest about um, how equitable or inequitable your school is, right? Um, and taking ownership and holding yourself and your people accountable to doing something about that, whether that is getting rid of, getting rid of any sort of disproportionality, right. In um, in uh, learning outcomes and discipline outcomes and graduation or, you know, promotion kind of race, whatever that is, like really owning that data and saying, no, we're actually supposed to do something about it as opposed to this is just the way it is. And we can't get any better than this. Yeah, the, the you know the what what we have to remember when we look at the that data is um, that data represents people, right? And right, uh, right. Those, those students, uh, those students that uh, they're either marginalized or struggling in some capacity are students that deserve the best that we can offer them. And, and if we're not creating the environments for that, then it it, it just invites um, a perpetual cycle of them not being represented in a proper way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's an endless rabbit hole, right? I mean, but it's just you're asking the question of how do we do better, right? Um, than what we're than what we currently have, and what's everyone's role in that, and how do I get everybody on that same page? You know. Fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, 
You know, I mean, I think I've spent spent the last year or so really getting deep into anti-racism and specifically a framework um, uh, called white supremacy culture, which obviously always sounds really crazy depending on where you're from and San Francisco and that is crazy. But this idea that there's cultural aspects or there's, there's, there's characteristics and traits that are actually baked into how our societies run, how our institutions function, and then how we are interpersonally that actually yield racist outcomes, right? Um, and what I've been doing work on recently is working with educators to, to see signs of that, to be able to identify wh- where, when that is at, mm-hmm. taking place, and then being able to figure out, well, what do we do about it? And then actually, how do we do the converse of that, right? Like, how do we have anti-racist characteristics and traits and processes? Um, so that way, the outcomes end up yielding, we end up yielding those type of outcomes, right? Outcomes that are actually proportionate, right? And that are actually equitable, right? That are actually even equal, right? Um, yes. So I've, I've been doing a lot of writing on that. I've, I've recently kind of started some one-day workshops that I did a lot in 2019. And, you know, 2020 was all good before all this stuff broke and yeah. we're all trapped in our homes. But I've been doing a lot of writing and I'm actually working on like an extended book, hopefully at some point. About the same concept, right? It's like, how do we see it? Where is it? Um, and, you know, what do we do about it? And, you know, what are the signposts or bright spots that we should be looking to to, to give us some some sort of indication of where we sh- where should we be going instead to to bring about more equitable uh, outcomes for kids. Yeah, the um, it's funny because that, that, that term was fairly new to me recently, but um, the person that really put it in the right perspective for me was, uh, her name's uh, Rennie Edel Lodge. Uh, and it's uh, why, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. And, I kind of gravitated to that book because one one of the things I realized being Canadian is every book I read or or listened to in, in for audiobooks um, in the last while um, we're all American focused. <laughs> and yeah. so, so I went to that one just just to get a, a perspective from another part of the world, and, and it, but it was really mm-hmm. interesting to because it gave me that that sense and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It, it's it's a sensitive topic, I think, that, that people misinterpret. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, some people, right? Like defensive people, and, and that's all been socialized and, and, and trained, right? Whereas, you know, women, for the most part, are never uncomfortable talking about sexism, right? Yeah. Unless they feel like they're going to be punished for talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, gay folks are never uncomfortable talking about being gay when they feel like they're in a safe space to talk about their experience, right? It's, it's often the, the privileged, the, the oppressor, the person with power in some dynamic that is uncomfortable in us feeling uncomfortable to talk about it for their sake, right? Uh, and that's all been socialized, right? And that's that setup, right? I mean, because if you're uncomfortable talking about it, you never have to deal with it, so it doesn't change. And you know, your privilege stays intact, whether that's sex, gender, sexuality, right, class, religion, what have 
view. Um, and, you know, it's just about people building a lot of people's skill and capacity to, to look at things differently, think differently so that we do something different. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it's one of my favorite quotes, but I, I'm not very good at remembering quotes, but quotes, but the Martin Luther quote for, came from, uh, from his Birmingham, uh, uh, letter about, uh, you know, people who are oppressed, never, uh, the oppressors, um, never give up the the oppression it's that rather it comes from people you yeah. know that it comes from the oppressed to be able to to make change and like i said i, yeah. I knew i would butcher the quote but uh essentially yeah. it's it's the people who are oppressed that that the change comes from and not the people that's who right. are the oppressors that's right that's right very much so you know um and it's always time for change you know there's always much change needed yeah and and uh i i'm I'm glad to see the changes that are coming. I, I think that um, when I look at uh, on a global scale, um, I'm often, uh, just to be blunt, I'm often a little disappointed about what's happening in the States. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty disappointing, man. Yeah, but, uh, but on, on a global scale, I think, I think the world is moving in the right direction. Um, and, and it's slow, but we have to, we have to be open and listen to... Um, to, to the voices that aren't often heard. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think if we're gonna talk about any sort of power construct, the biggest one is kid adult, right? I mean, kids yeah. tell us every day, right? Yeah. I mean, it, at some point, maybe we'll listen to them, really. But we were all kids and we knew that we didn't like listening to boring shit and we didn't want to be told what to do and we wanted more choice. And I mean, like all yeah. these things that we need to be true, kids tell us every day, you know, verbally yeah. and non-verbally, whether they're in the building or not about what they think of our education system, right? Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that is one of the last frontiers when it comes to education, you know? Is yeah. What if we just listened to the kids, you know, and stopped uh, being so top down with them, yeah. you know? You might oh, get something yeah. different. I wrote, a, I wrote I, my daily blog post today was uh, about, you know, all these people are going online now and it's time, you know, that they're all worried a lot of them are worried about, well, what are the rules I'm going to create for this online space? And exactly. really the, the rules for the online space that the, the two things kind of messages I had were, well, it's a classroom, just extend your classroom to, to anywhere. You know, if you went on a field trip, the, the, you still have those expectations. If you're in a digital space, you still have those same expectations. But the other part too is hopefully the kids are participating in the decision-making and what that looks like. And, you know, you got no control, you know, let's be real, you know, like, you know, like once we started getting on Zoom, people started hacking Zoom, right? Yeah. And taking over, right? And some of it was racist and some of it was, um, you know, nefarious and hacking into people's accounts and whatnot. But also it's just like kids saying like, no, I want to put whatever name I want to put, you know, like, or I want to put whatever background I want or, you know, like, because yeah. that's power, you know, like people are, kids especially are tired of being out of not in control right yeah so part of it's just accepting like this is different and like we got to try to bring the kids together you know yeah. not by and, fear you know but by curiosity and there's no better time to give students voice and choice oh yeah man yeah so yeah. it's fantastic well hey thank you very much for chatting today i think we'll uh we'll, we'll do this again sometime soon so um much appreciated i hope you're enjoying your walk I enjoyed having yeah, the time with you. Yeah, man. No, always nice to 
talk uh, across borders and you know to kind of see what what's similar what's different um because i do think like as much as we all have schools like we do socialize our kids in small and large ways differently depending on where kids grow up right yeah um so that i'm i'm definitely interested to chat with you sometime in the future just to hear what are some of your dilemmas you know what i mean and yeah. they might be really different you know I think that's pretty cool. Super. Thanks so much, Joe. All right. Take care, man. All right. Let's chat with you.